All right, so over the last few weeks, chances are you have seen this particular screenshot. Let me see if we can bring it up on the screens. Sunday nights at Sherwood, there it is, nice and big for everyone. Uh, beautifully done. By the way, I like marketing pieces right there, and this is one of my favorites. So simply says, this is new, this is different, Sunday nights, September 25th at 6 p.m. Now, on some of those, it came out specifically within the Friday email. It said, come and find out more, 6 p.m. on the 25th. Now, um, I want to let you all know that uh, there's been some people who have been trying to get some intel prior to 6 p.m. on the 25th. So uh, it was kind of funny. I was sharing with the pastors this morning. It almost felt like, you know, we were kind of exchanging contraband in the church hallways. People come up and they're like, hey, Paul, I'm not going to be there on the 25th in the evening. Tell me what's going on. Like, I'll, I'll keep it a secret. First, there are no secrets in a Baptist church. That is in Baptist Living 101, front page, no secrets in a Baptist church. And the second part of that is my parents told me good things come to those who wait. And hopefully that's going to be the case this evening. Now, before I go any further, let me set a lot of hearts at ease. Um, there are people who might be concerned that we are doing away with Sunday evening at Sherwood or that we are moving to home groups or cell groups. That is not the case. So let me repeat that. That is not the case. All right, everybody can just calm down right now. So when you look at that marketing piece and you're like, something different, something new, all of a sudden tension rises up in hearts. We did that because we specifically wanted people to come back tonight and instead of it maybe being, say, a handful of people trying to share what this night is going to look like and some additions that we're bringing in and kind of sharing pieces and then we missed some pieces, we wanted it to be that everyone got a chance to hear all of the information for themselves as comprehensively as we could possibly make that. So all I can say is um, there are going to be many Sunday nights that you're not going to be able to see that anything was new and anything was different. In fact, you might even be wondering like, Paul, I feel like maybe you oversold that new and different part of things. And let me just say, it is very intentional as to what we're doing. That is change just for change sake is rarely good. It needs to be that there is reasoning behind it. There needs to be that there is a need that is missing, something that we're trying to meet and something that we're trying to accomplish. So, Lord willing, tonight you're going to see that there's going to be some smaller, meaningful changes that we're going to be adding into our Sunday night format that although it might seem small on the surface, I believe it's going to have major impact in your life individually as well as in the life of the church. So let me back up for just a moment on this and share some trends that have been happening for the last, say, 30 to 40 years in church life. It is not a surprise to people who are in the room that Sunday nights in many churches have gone the way of the covered wagon. They just don't exist anymore. It's, it's not there. And there's a number of reasons for that particular trend, 
But the vast majority of churches right now, even Southern Baptist churches, do not have a Sunday evening format. And many of the churches that do have a Sunday night format, it is simply an additional service to what they're doing on Sunday mornings. That is, they do a 9 a.m. service, they do an 11 a.m. service, and then they recreate that same exact service. They just do it at 6 p.m. on Sunday night. And it allows them to be able to reach a completely different part of the population that is unable to actually attend services on a Sunday morning. And that is one of the main reasons for having an evening format. Just so that you know, approximately 73% of working adults work what you would consider to be a day shift in kind of your Monday through Friday, nine to five. But you've got another 27% that are non-day shift workers that are working many times late in the evening or those who are working all the way through the night. So they might go into work maybe at 11 and get off at 7. Or they might go into work at, say, 6 p.m. and get off at 4 or 5 a.m. the next day. So you've got an entire group, about 27% of the working adult population, that if all you have is a Sunday morning format, they're not able to come to church at all. So there is great reason behind doing evening services. So you've got churches also like Sherwood that it is not the same service that is done on Sunday morning. There is a Sunday morning service, and then there is a completely different Sunday evening service. Now, for churches like Sherwood, that has been a lot of the question over the years, is how do you make Sunday evenings distinct? For people who have come to worship on Sunday morning, and they've been there, they've worshiped with people, they've been a part of connect groups, they've had a chance to give and to serve and to be in the Word, the question often becomes, why would they come back on a Sunday night? What's different? What's distinct? What are we doing in a Sunday evening format that's maybe not just the exact same thing that they had on Sunday morning? So for some churches over the years, they have tried to create that distinctiveness by focusing on Sunday morning, and they would make it a completely seeker-sensitive service. That is, they're going to address felt needs, it's going to be very evangelistic to its core, and then they would look at Sunday night as far more of that for the church, that for making disciples, deeper studies, maybe verse-by-verse studies. There's other churches that have gone through and they will teach topically on Sunday morning and expositionally on Sunday night. It's a different format and it requires there to be a distinctiveness in what that evening service is going to be. Then you got some churches that are a little bit more formal on a Sunday morning. It's kind of suit and tie and nice dresses for the ladies. And then we just all let our hair down if you got any on Sunday night. And it's completely informal, okay? And that's, that's a different approach that people have. And then there's some churches that do a combination of all of that and some churches who have never thought of any of that. They just kind of do their own thing. Now, the desire of the leadership at Sherwood over the years has been to make Sunday nights a distinct service where it allows us to do things that maybe you're not able to do in a traditional Sunday morning format. So there are currently five different variations of what has happened over the years Sunday nights right here at Sherwood. Probably the, the most well-known, the one that we do the most often, would be considered like your normal, say, study Sunday night. 
That is, it's going to be preaching of the word. There's going to be worship. There's going to be an offering received. There's going to be prayer. It's going to be like a standard type of a Sunday night. About 70% of the time, that's the exact type of service that's happening right now, current format at Sherwood. Then also we do nights of worship, or maybe it's a concert. And that's just going to be a night dedicated to additional time in worship before God. Now, let me stop there for just a moment. Sometimes people think, if we don't do all of the things every time, sometimes we've missed it. I'm, I'm going to speak for myself, and I'll try to share from experience. But if your life is anything like mine, sometimes you don't need another message because you're trying to still process the last one you just had. And sometimes your heart is so broken by what's going on in your life the only thing that seems to minister and penetrate the soul is it's like the words of Scripture put to music. It's like there's something about engaging in an extended time of worship that ministers in the heart of a person in a way that maybe a standard Sunday night would not be able to do. So praise God, there are nights of worship. Maybe it's going to be a concert, a night of worship. That is one of the formats that Sherwood has had over the years. Also, there's nights of prayer. Those are nights, they're aptly named. Guess what you do on those nights? You pray. It's either corporate prayer that we're coming together, praying over something big, or this last year we did a night where it was on personal repentance in prayer, walking people through what it looks like to repent of things that are in our hearts. Sometimes it's been two to four people getting together in smaller groups and praying. There's also nights of prayer that we've done on Sunday evenings. Then we've also had gatherings that happened right after the Sunday morning service. We had one of those just this last April. And basically, we encouraged everybody on that day to join us out at Legacy Park. There was food that was provided. There was inflatables that were out there. People brought their blankets and their lounge chairs and games. And it was just a time for the body of Christ to be able to be together, to build relationships, have a meal, and just enjoy getting a chance to talk a little bit more. If you come to church enough, you'll find that there's not a lot of what you would consider to be deep conversations that happen between services. A lot of times it's, how you doing? Everything okay? Fine, great. And then you kind of move on. If you don't create pockets for people to connect, Sometimes we don't ever get a chance to know what's going on in another believer's life. So that's one of those formats. On those days, we'd encourage people to come out. We would spend time together. But we did that in lieu of a Sunday evening service. And then there's another type of a night that has been a part of the mix for years. And that is it usually happens on holiday weekends where we encourage people on that night, rest be with your family, and the Sunday evening service is canceled on that night. Some of those nights would be Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, we do it on 4th of July. We do that on Christmas. We do that on the evening of Easter. Like, literally, people have been, like, running and working like crazy, prepping for that Easter crowd. So what we do on those nights is we encourage people, as your family is in town, spend time with family. Rest. We'll still be here this next week. It's a wonderful way to be able to minister to the body. So those five nights have been a part of Sherwood's, uh, I guess, current lineup over the years. And if you were to put them all out, it'd kind of be like Sunday nights at Sherwood. We currently do nights of study and nights of worship and nights of prayer, community, and rest. All of those are good. 
We plan to continue all of those different ones. But here's where we got a little bit of a, an addition that is happening. There are certain topics that come to me specifically that people email me, they stop me in the halls, they give me an article and they say, I just read this this last week, I don't know what to do with this. And they are topics that the church needs to hear about. They are issues that we don't want to address on a Sunday morning. When Sunday morning comes and it's worship, the focus is on Jesus and on the gospel and on making much of him. Like, we don't want to take that time to address that topic. But there are certain topics that come up that will impact so many people within the church that if we don't take time to help people understand them from a biblical perspective, where are they going to find that information? They go online and they may or may not get good biblical advice when they go online. So those types of needs will come up along the way. So what I am wanting to share with you is that we're going to add three different categories, three new ones to our current five in order to cover some of the needs that I'm seeing right now within the church. Now, just as a point of reference, for everybody's like, oh boy, here it is, here's the big shift. He, he brought us in on this one point, now it's changing. Listen, currently, it's about 70% of the time that is a study night. That is a night with preaching of the word, worship, offering, prayer. And all of the others that we've been doing, the other four, it's about 30% of the time. What I'm talking about by adding these three in is about a 65-35 split. It's not a massive change in how the format will be, but I guarantee you it can bring some massive impact in individual people's lives. So here's the three new categories that we are wanting to work in. The first one is going to be the biggest one for me to explain. It is going to be a night of worldview that I am going to bring in. Uh, to set everything up on this, um, I want to share one of my favorite passages that is found in the Bible, and it is probably one of the more obscure texts that you're going to find. If you happen to have a Bible, feel free to turn over there. It's going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Now, let me kind of set up what's happening in this particular text. David has just been made king over Israel in chapter 11. And as he steps into this new role, he has support from the community, he has support from the elders. He has mighty men of battle, warriors that are all coming to them. They're offering to help him. And at this point, David is already a war hero. He has already been tested in battle, and he has been unbelievably victorious in battle. He was a respected leader. The people loved him, and they wanted to offer him their support. He's now in this new role. They're wanting to come and say, we want to help you in this new role. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it describes how each of the tribal divisions come to David and they share their specialties and they share their numbers. Now here's just an idea of what you're going to find in chapter 12. The sons of Judah, they bore shields and spears and there were 6,800 of them. The sons of Simeon, they were mighty men of valor and there were 7,100 of them. The sons of Zebulun were skilled in battle formations and they served with an undivided heart and they brought 50,000 men to the table. That's a good-sized posse. 
Then the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, they brought all kinds of weapons of war and they numbered 120,000. Now, it just keeps going through this list where it talks about the divisions, it talks about the specialties, and it talks about the numbers of those who all came together. And right in the middle of this mix of warriors and captains of armies and battle skills, you get what seems like a misplaced verse. It says in verse 32, of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Their chiefs were 200, and all their kinsmen were at their command. That's a cool text. All the other tribes are bringing thousands, and the sons of Issachar, they brought 200 chiefs. What specialty did they actually bring? They brought wisdom. They brought understanding. They, they brought discernment. They had the ability to see what was happening around them, the capacity to understand how it impacted the nation of Israel, and the wisdom to give counsel on what Israel was supposed to do. What a gift to the nation of Israel. I've often wondered over the years, where are the sons of Issachar for this generation? Where are the sons of Issachar for the church today? Where are the men and women of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit, can hold a newspaper in one hand, the Word of God in the other hand, and rightly discern a biblical course of action for God's people? Where, where's that group at within the church? It is not a surprise to anybody in this room. We live in a time of great foolishness and little discernment within the church itself we have seen how biblical illiteracy has married secular values and it has given birth to an unholy child of confusion and virtue signaling and self-absorption lack of discernment reactionary tendencies a ready fire aim mentality is creating more problems than the church can handle right now. So over the years, I've prayed, God, how do we raise a generation of people who have a mentality like the sons of Issachar? How do we teach the next generation how to biblically discern what's happening through culture? to biblically frame what's happening in the moment, to be able to walk in wisdom, to share that wisdom with others, for it to be consistent, for it to be clear, for it to not be a little bit of secular and a little bit of biblical and a whole lot of self, but how do we make it so that it is the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God? What's happening in culture? Let me show you in the Word of God. How do we create that type of a culture? You say, Paul... I don't know if it's that big of a deal. Let me share with you why I think this is such a huge deal. I added up the number of people listed in all of these different groups that were coming, bringing men of battle. There are 340,000 warriors that are listed in this group. And they're being led by 200 people with discernment. Get this. As a point of reference, 
there's 380,000 churches in America. Imagine what would happen if just one out of every one of those churches said, God, give me a mindset like the sons of Issachar. Help me to understand wisdom in the word and culture. Could you imagine what that would do within this country, within society? Over the years, God has brought me back to this statement over and over and over again. A yielded servant is a mighty weapon in the hands of God. What would happen if we yielded ourselves to God in this? Now, here's the basic idea of what that would look like. On maybe two to three Sunday nights in a year, we would focus on equipping the people of God to address a major issue that is happening within culture through a biblical lens. We're going to help people understand how do you create a biblical worldview and why is it important that you always operate from a biblical worldview. If we don't have a biblical worldview, we are going to miss what God is wanting to do in this world through the gospel and through his church. We need a biblical framework for this. So you say, well, Paul, is it really that big of an issue? It's a bigger issue than you might ever imagine. Just this last month, there was new research that was released from the Cultural Research Center out of Arizona Christian University. They found, get this, only 37% of American pastors have a biblical worldview. 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. It was a nationwide study. The vast majority, 62% of those that were surveyed, have a hybrid worldview that is better known as syncretism, where it combines the secular and the sacred, and it creates its own mentality. Those numbers got even worse when it was broken down based on positions within the church. 41% of senior pastors have a biblical worldview. 28% of associate pastors have a biblical worldview. 13% of teaching pastors have a biblical worldview. 12% of your children's and youth pastors have a biblical worldview. And 4% of executive pastors have a biblical worldview. Now, I would like to report to you 100% of the pastors at Sherwood have a biblical worldview, regardless of the position that we serve in. I praise God for that, but don't take that for granted. It's not just what's happening here. The question is, what's happening in the other 380,000 churches in America? If only 37% of pastors in general have a biblical worldview, what do you think is going to happen for those that are sitting under that teaching week after week? If 12% of children's pastors and youth pastors have a biblical worldview, who's raising the next generation? Who is going to teach what it looks like to walk with God and be faithful to the word? I cannot sound the alarm on this loud enough. If we don't take time to train people to think biblically, give it 20 years and the devastation will be even more than we can imagine. 
So here's my list of some of the ones that I want to address on some of these nights. I just had another family contact me a week or so ago, and here's what they asked. They said, my son is a part of a Christian college, and his friends are deconstructing their faith. He's afraid for them. I've never heard of that term before. What do I do? That is not the first time I've received that question. So if that's the first time you've heard about it, you want to be back on that night. There is a group, a large group that's coming out of evangelical churches that are said to be deconstructing their faith. They are walking away from the faith. Now here's the thing. You don't get over Jesus. If, if you can get over him, you never got him to begin with. But there is something that is problematic. There is something that is missing in what the church is saying and how believers are living. Oh, there might be a series we've been talking about. Undivided Sunday mornings. There needs to be continuity between our beliefs and our behaviors. There's young people right now that they're walking out and they're like, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. And they're not wise enough to understand the difference between what it means to follow Jesus with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength and how it is that sometimes our human systems have kind of gone on the side and sometimes we don't do things well and sometimes we act hypocritical. They can't function with that and they're just walking away. They're throwing up their hands with all of it. We need to know how to talk to our friends and family members when they're facing that exact thing. We're going to be talking about the impact of social media on individuals as well as on the church. There is a generation that is growing up right now with a warped self-view because every single part of their life has been put on public display for the world to see and their life is being lived based on likes and comments and little hearts and when that doesn't show up, they're their self-worth takes a hit. What's happening in social media? For all the good that's there, there's a lot of danger in that as well. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about pro-life, pro-choice, and the Imago Dei. We need people to know that standing up for life is not a political talking point. It is about People being created in the image of God. As image bearers of our creator, we need to know how to speak of life from the cradle to the grave. We need to know how to speak up for those who are marginalized. We need to know how to speak up for those that they don't have a voice right now. It is a part of looking at the Imago Dei and saying, that's the image of God. We're going to be talking about the transgender dilemma. It's coming to a home near you. If it's not already there, believers need to know how to talk through it. Here it is from a loving and a biblical perspective. If we don't know how to talk with that person, we're going to lose that battle every time. If we know how to love people well and point them towards truth, we give hope. People who are struggling in life, they need to know there's hope. <laughs> if, if we can't even give them that much, where, where do they go? 
If they can't get hope in the local church by people who say their lives have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you can't get hope there, what's your next step? They'll find someone that they feel like is going to be able to agree with them and support them. They need hope. They need the gospel. We're going to talk about, and this is going to be a strange one, we're going to talk about how artificial intelligence is right now changing the landscape on how we engage people with the gospel. Did you know the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about three years ago got together about 100 pastors from around the country to craft a statement specifically on helping churches know how to navigate artificial intelligence and the gospel message. I'm going to tell you, there's stuff that's going on out there. It's a part of culture. It's a worldview issue. It's something that the people at work are going to be talking about. Your neighbors are going to be talking about. Your kids, your grandkids are going to be talking about. We just need to know how to frame it from a biblical perspective. There's so many more of these topics that I could share with you. But here's what we're going to do on those nights of worldview. We're going to let people know what the topic is going to be. And there might be some of those nights that we come in and I might have multiple chairs up here and we'll bring in multiple people who can address that because I want people to hear a biblical perspective through other people who are living through that right now. I, I want that to be a time for us. There might be some nights the topics we get into are so heavy that we start with 15 minutes of prayer to get our hearts ready and maybe we don't even do worship on that night. Listen, it'll be all right if we don't sing one night. And you know what's going to happen on that? We also bless our worship team who blesses us every single week, and we give them some rest on that night. It's an opportunity for us to bless them, but it's also one that we can pull out a little bit more information. There's going to be some different nights that I'll, I'll tell you from the very beginning. We are not going to live stream it. You're going to have to be in the room. And here's why we're doing that. When you know the people that are around you, you know you love each other, you know you support each other, you know the basics of what the other person believes, and you're willing to walk through the messy stuff together, you can bring up those types of conversations because you're with family. But there's some people out there that the only thing they want is another fight. They want something to criticize. They want another reason to argue and to take something out of context as to why it is that they don't need to be a part of a local church. I just don't want to give fuel to that fire. So we're going to share with people, these are going to be the topics, and let people know in advance. And I'm going to ask you on those nights that you would be praying for the, the night, be praying for what people hear. We want it to be that it is, again, a biblical worldview that people are receiving. Now, here's the second one of those nights. And by the way, I told you that was going to be the, the biggest of these. So here's the second night that we're talking about bringing in. That is a night of answering questions. So over the years, I have tried to create opportunities for people to ask me questions. And many times I get questions through emails, through texts, through calls, through messages on social media. I get questions from people before and after the services. And uh, I get questions when I'm at Walmart 
and happened to bump into somebody. And by the way, that happens a whole lot in this city right there. Apparently, I've got a spot. It's Walmart. So anyway, um, over the 18 years that we were in Las Vegas, we made this a part of kind of what would be considered the discovery class here for people that were coming into the church, checking out things, wanting to see whether or not they wanted to become members of the church. We opened up a time at the very end for Q&A. And all I can say is, Um, When you totally open up a room for people to ask you any question about theology, about culture, about scripture, about orthodoxy, orthopraxy, about leadership, structure within the church, when you just open it up, it can get fun. And I use that word fun in the most creative sense possible. So I will say over the years, you begin to see trends in what people are asking. Um, At one particular point, uh, I was down doing a This is the Gospel training in Honduras. And we always would open things up at the end. We're usually with pastors, many of which had never had an opportunity to go to seminary. So they had question after question. We just kind of opened it up and just said, what questions do you all have about theology or ministry or life? And I kid you not, for the next four hours straight, it was nothing but Q&A going on. Now, I kind of enjoyed that because I like a good challenge. I like to talk. But I'm going to tell you, my translator's tongue was hanging out by the time it was done. Because it's one thing for me. I've been used to answering questions on the spot. It's another thing for a translator who has no idea what's coming, and they're having to listen to it in Spanish and all of a sudden translate in English to me. It was a fun night. But anyway, my point in that is when one person has a question, I guarantee you there's another 10 people in the same room that have the exact same question. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up a format, whether or not it's going to be through emails, whether or not it's going to be a piece that's going to be on the the app, the Sherwood app. We're going to create a format for people to be able to ask their questions. Whatever that might be, just ask the questions. We will be receiving those in. And then we will have a couple of nights, two or three nights, Sunday nights in a year, that we're going to stop and I'm going to take maybe five, seven, ten of those different questions and we're going to list them in advance so that people will know these are the questions that are going to be addressed that night. Now you might say, Paul, why in the world would we take a Sunday night to do that? Because I can get up here and I can preach the word Sunday morning, Sunday night for the rest of my life. But if you've ever stopped and asked someone, what are you wrestling with with God? They will tell you, and if you answer their question there, that one piece might be more ministry than what you'll do in three months of just trying to kind of hit the entire crowd. So we're going to list the questions. We're going to walk through them, but we want, again, to frame everything through a biblical lens. We want people to know when this question's coming, it's not just going to be, here's Paul's wisdom, because that's not going to get you very far. This is going to be, we're going to frame it through the Word of God. So that's going to be another one. And then also there are going to be maybe once every year, once every year and a half, we're going to do a night of vision. And the reason for this is there are certain things that the leaders of the church desire desperately for the church to know about, that we can pray about together, that we can work in the same direction. 
There are going to be things that we're going to share on those nights of vision where we might share, here's an opportunity that God is opening up, and a part of us walking in the Spirit is we want to pause what we're doing and say, as a group, here's the opportunity. We wanted to share it with you. And we're asking this group just come together for prayer, seeking the face of God in this. There's going to be nights that are coming up that we're going to be able to share. This is what God is doing. Here's what we see as opportunities in the future. And we just want to share that. Whatever that might be, it's just going to happen maybe once, maybe once every year and a half or so. Now, if you were to put all of that together, once again, our current format is we do about a 70-30 split. 70% of the time, it's going to be a study night, preaching of the word, worship, offering, prayer. And then the other four pieces in the current format amounts to about 30% of the time. What I'm talking about with all eight pieces is going to be about a 65-35 split. About 65% of the time, it's going to be preaching through the word. By the way, starting the book of Ephesians here soon. Man, I'm so excited. The bumper for that? Mm, 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 mm. That piece alone is pretty inspired right there. So it's, it's going to be an incredible study. I want you to be there for that. So don't hear me say, just come for the special nights. Nope. You're going to hear me say, every different night has a place of value in the life of the believer. We want you to be a part of what it is God is doing here at the church. So that being said, I am going to show you some wonderful new graphics, Lord willing, that you're going to be seeing in different formats. So these are our current eight pieces. It's a night of study, a night of community, a night of prayer, a night of worship, and a night of rest. Here are the new three that we are adding into the mix. It's going to be a night of worldview, it's going to be a night of answering questions and also a night of vision. Now, by the way, are those not some amazing-looking graphics from our marketing department right there? They just make me happy. That is, that is a part of the work of Miss Mallory McBride right there and the team. But anyway, I love it. So here's the eight all together that you're going to begin to see. You will find this on our website, you're going to find it showing up on social media. You're going to find these different pieces showing up at different places along the way in our Friday emails. But here's what we want people to know. We're going to try our best to guide you through what those nights will be. So when you get those emails, you look on social media, you're going to see the ticket for that particular night. That way you will know this is what's going on. It's a night of study. It's a night of prayer. It's a night of worship. All of that. We want you all to be informed. Now, all that being said, I told you it was going to be new, a little bit different, not a massive change, but it's going to be some pieces I believe will have a massive impact on the church. I love you all. I just feel like I need to tell you that right now. I am unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. I am unbelievably blessed to be able to serve right here with such an incredible team and to serve an amazing church. I'm grateful. Thank you all. So we are going to finish with prayer. 
And then you will start seeing these pieces of marketing pop up and you'll know what's going on. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you are doing. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for the heart of those who are here, a desire to know you and to make you known. God, thank you for the faithfulness to the word that has been here over the generations. Thank you, God, for those who have continued to invest in financially, through service, through time, through support. Thank you, God, for the support that has happened now for over 60 years in this church. Thank you for the impact this church has had on the world. God, we believe you got more. We believe the, the future is incredible. And Lord, while there might be trying times that we are walking through, we have no doubt in our minds that your word is applicable, that the gospel is going to change lives, and that when disciples are made, we get a chance to impact this world and impact eternity. So Lord, may we be about your mission. And God, we will be careful to praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. See you this next week.